is 1976. The American merchant vessel Petrox Explorer has just set sail from the port of Surabaya in search of oil. What they find will shock the world. We may be sailing into the history books. She's alive! You know, maybe my luck has changed. They will discover an uncharted island that is the home of the most incredible creature on the face of the earth. A creature called Kong. Dino De Laurentiis presents the most exciting original motion picture event of all time. adventure. Introducing Jessica Lange as the beauty who charmed the beast. And starring the eighth wonder of the world, King Kong. This spoiler-filled podcast is recorded live, unscripted, and intended for those over 18. Now prepare your ears for the audio stimulation they've been waiting for all day as we step into the spoiler room. And welcome again to the spoiler room. Here we are. It is June 15th. And 2016, and I have a great crew here. We've got another big 4-0 special. We talked about an ape a couple weeks ago that I thought was going to be a big 4-0 special, but it wasn't. We talked about King Kung Fu. Well, now we're talking about another gigantic ape uh, running amok, but he's even bigger than that guy in the suit, though he's still a guy in the suit. And we're talking about King Kong 1976, and in the crew that I have for us tonight is a large one. So going down the aisle really quick, Cole, how are you doing today, sir? Fantastic, man. Th- thank you for the invite. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah, no problem. And I didn't even know you were such a, a huge fan there and that you owned every King Kong movie known to man. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and next to Cole is the one, the only, you recognize her voice quite often. Here she is, the diva of the spoiler room. It is Dawn. Hello, Dawn. How are you? I am wonderful. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Fantastic to always have you in the spoiler room. And next to her, BFD, the big fucking deal, it is Glenn Bittner. Hello, Glenn. Hola. Awesome. How are you doing today, sir? Pretty good, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) 
We didn't make you listen to uh, watch King Kong Lives, so you're doing better than that. So, right? No, oh, I've, I've seen that plenty of times. <laughs> <laughs> and then next to Glenn, the man and the myth and legend himself, the one, the only Scotty D. Hello, Scott. Hey, hey, hey! How you doing? We're doing good. Glad you could join us to talk about this big, uh, gigantic ape movie. Now, King Kong 1976, and I'm sure uh, people here can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this is the first attempted full remake of the original 1933 film, was it not? First, I mean, one, that got, first one that actually got made. That actually got made, yes. Yeah. Uh, there was, uh, Hammer there was, tried. Hammer tried in the, in the mid-60s. They mm -hmm. couldn't get, pull it off. They had to I think they sold the test footage to a commercial, <laughs> and um, which I've not seen the results of that. And um, this actually started out as two competing projects. If you're not familiar with it, this version of King Kong, a petroleum exploration expedition, comes to an isolated island and encounters a colossal giant gorilla. And, well, things go awry. The oil that they were looking for isn't there, but so the ape is there, and they decide, hey, you know, here's a great idea. Let's, let's pack him up and take him to the States. And uh, they do this, and chaos ensues in 1976, New York, which means we do have the Twin Towers that make an appearance here in the film. Uh, so, yeah, a big ape running amok in New York when he's not running amok in... Skull Island, and he's not uh, leering and being a lech on a very young <laughs> Jessica Lang. Oh, wow. And I asked everybody in the group to bring a topic, and so we're going to start off, since this is Cole's favorite uh, uh, series, Cole, do you have a uh, topic or a question for the group that you'd like to talk about starting off of for this film? Well, I, yeah, I just wanted to, to well, I, you know, I don't know if I, it was a question. I just wanted to ask people, you know, what they thought this film was about. Because having watched it again tonight, and this has struck me every time I've watched it, the movie's really about showbiz. Mm -hmm. You know, hmm. it's a movie written by people raised in the industry, executed by people raised in the industry, you know, promoted by people raised in the industry. This is like... You know, this this remake, even more than the 1930s version, which is, you know, contender for my favorite film of all time, Pure Magic. Mm -hmm. But this this remake is really, like, one of the most... It, it's, like, symbolizes what Hollywood movies are to me. And, again, watching it tonight, even the, the characters, you know, all they do is talk about the, their, their need for fame. So I, I guess my question was... You know, do you guys think this is even about the ape? I, I mean, this seems to be a, a very 70s movie about, um, I don't know, sexuality and fame, really. Cheesy sexuality. I, I guess I also wanted to add to that just the, the director's sort of weird eroticism in these movies. In particular, the, the sequel, Linda, Linda, uh, Linda Hamilton shows more skin than she did in The Terminator, certainly. These these remakes are oddly sexual and, and very Hollywood. And I don't know if that's a question, but I thought that might be a topic to touch on because it really hit, hit me thick tonight, especially, you know, them slowing down in the bar and pouring a drink and oh, him gosh. talking about there's going to come a day when you're going to need more kicks than I can give you. Like... <laughs> 
such an odd. That's what struck me. Oh, the screenplay and the dialogue in here is just one of the things that made me chuckle quite a bit. But uh, that's a good topic. So, yeah, is King Kong not so much in this one, not so much about the ape, but about fame and fortune and uh, sexuality as well? Uh, Mm -hmm. Let's start with Dawn. Dawn, what would you say about that? How how do you feel about the film in, in that context? You know, I, I guess I agree, think, especially thinking about a lot of the uh, references they made that were made in the film, especially when, when they found Jessica Lange's character, Dwan, and she's talking about, where's Harry? Harry was going to put me in films. And then she starts talking about the film they're watching when her yacht, when the yacht she was on explodes, deep throat. So Harry would be referring to, oh, Harry, what's his name? I'm sorry. I'm Reams. There you go. I knew you'd know that stuff. <laughs> I had to step up. Uh-huh. So, so here's this would-be actress apparently looking to break into the porn scene. That's, yeah, that's quite a kick to the uh, setting the tone of the film. Well, I, I don't think she was looking to get in the porn scene exactly, but I think she was taken advantage of because he was say, she said that he made promises that put her in films. He didn't quite say what kind, and then he takes her out. And this isn't really in the movie, but you start piecing this together just from the little dialogue she has. Mm-hmm. Thinking about it now that she said that, Dodd, yeah, he takes her out into a remote boat and shows them deep throat and says, hey, I'm going to put you in the movies. <laughs> Wow, I mean, that takes a whole other level of, of a bit of sleaziness to it. Though, uh, I am glad Scott uh, knew the name. He is, uh, it, one of the lines of dialogue is, did you ever know anyone whose life was saved by Deep Throat? Scotty D is one of those people. That's actually not a very good film. <laughs> But you make a you make a really valid point there, Don. At uh, so so you would see say with Cole though that this is actually it, it alludes to being more about the entertainment business than and sexuality than actual about a big ape. Yep, and and later on when we get to um, well, okay, I guess I can talk about this a little bit now. Sure. It kind of leads into since what I want to talk about is a little bit different, but. Towards the end of the film, at the end of the film, after everything is said and done, and she's crying out, calling for uh, Jeff Bridges' character, Jack, and he just kind of stops and leaves her there. And you can kind of see the gears turning. He completely abandons her to the fame and the reporters, and she's in the spotlight. She's the star now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very much about, very much about uh, being in the spotlight, being a star. And and sacrificing everything in order to get there. Yeah, and she gets she finally gets her wish of what we when we first are introduced to her uh, is, is that she gets to be in the spotlight. So she she finally gets her wish, but then we get that impression it might not be something she exactly wants. At least mm-hmm. that's not how she wanted to go about it by dealing with the big furry ape. And uh, maybe and she doesn't even want to be there anymore. Right, exactly. And by big furry ape, I'm not talking about Harry Reams. No, <laughs> <definitely>. <laughs> uh, 
So we'll go right down the line, Hey-o. Glenn. Hey-o. <laughs> <laughs> so, Glenn, would would you say King Kong's more about sexuality and possibly a, a Hollywood fame and stardom? Yeah, let's like like all your opinion, man. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't watch this movie now without thinking of the dude. So, um, <laughs> it's hard, but yeah, um, I, I definitely can see that. It definitely is all about fame and 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 how it's really not, in a lot of ways, all it's cracked up to be. Of course, that's told you know from people who have lots of fame and money, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. which is always the you know the whole. Whenever I hear you know famous people talking about you know the the perils of fame, it's to a degree it's like, yeah, but you could quit and retire on your own island. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, I I, I definitely can see that. Um, yeah, I I it, now that he he brought it up, it it really comes into focus with that that those themes really run strong through here. Scotty D, how about you? It's a really good point that Cole makes. I hadn't even thought of it. From that from, from that perspective, because uh, because you know I'm thinking like oh showbiz. Well, the original was so much about showbiz because they were actually playing you know directors and filmmakers and stuff. But no, he's absolutely right. It's like because everybody, the only ex, the only person people in this movie that aren't trying to make their mark are Jack Prescott, the Jeff Bridges character, mm-hmm. and King Kong. Yeah. And all and both of them are just kind of dragged along for the ride, basically because they're just like so like hot and bothered for this total airhead dwan. <laughs> um, and uh, the oh, which I'll get onto in a bit. Yeah. But the, but uh, but yeah, no, because uh, you have the Fred Wilson character, which is played by Charles Grodin, the closest thing this film has to a villain, who I actually thought was the most most interesting character in the movie, actually. Yeah, he's awesome. I thought he was like because because it could have been so one dimensional, but it's like no, you get the desperation of this guy, and you and, get and one of my favorite movie deaths ever. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, you got he got you got him. You got Duan. You got everybody there is basically trying to make their way in the world, and yeah, there's that irony in the end. That okay now you've got all the reporters surrounding you and everything like that and all she wants is she's crying for Jack Jack Jack, who's kind of like yeah I don't think I can even I think this is as close as we're gonna get from here on out I don't I I never got that those two would get together after this movie mm-hmm. done I never got that there would be like the happy reunion and they'd console each other no I got that no she's there with her crowds of people. We're all taking pictures of her. Why they always take pictures of her instead of the giant fucking gorilla (laughs) is beyond me. They're all interested in the blonde. They're not interested in the gorilla. Like, eighth wonder of the world. I know. How does she get her hair so far? No, the gorilla! (laughs) Well, well, to be honest, they do take pictures. You get those reporters who are real quick to jump on top of King Kong's chest when he dies and take pictures of him right away. Everybody gets there so quickly. Not only does Jessica Lange somehow get to the bottom of the World Trade Center in 2.3 seconds, but there's already like four or five reporters standing on... Kong's chest, and remember that this guy is like several stories tall. Click, 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 click. <laughs> what? I didn't see any fire ladders. What the hell? <laughs> any 
he's still breathing. It's not like he. It's not like it's going to be an easy ride. But anyway, yeah. I'm like, going back to Cole's thing, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Uh, but you're right. But he's absolutely right. Everybody is making their mark in this movie, and it's about that desperation and everything. And the people that are brought dragged along for it are Jack Prescott, who kind of represents human purity. And King Kong, who is the mystery in this, and King Kong is probably the biggest, even though he's the one who racks up all the bodies, he's kind of the biggest victim in the film, I guess. Well, he, he all, all the bodies he racks up, he's running on primal instinct, and you can't really blame him at oh, all. Oh, right. No, you never you could know? in any of these. In, in in any decent King Kong movie, you never could. You can't do it in the third... Thir- well, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> because... As far as I'm concerned, this is not a decent King Kong movie. <laughs> but uh, in the 33 film, you couldn't do it, and in the 76 film, you couldn't do it. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, you do feel feel bad for Kong, really, mm-hmm. with this film. And uh, yeah, I gotta agree with with Cole as well that that whole uh, lifestyle and and the actors and spotlight. Because even even the Fred Wilson character, even though it's not entertainment at first that he wants to get into, he's talking about being the biggest oil discovery in history. Yeah. You know, so he's still, even though he's working and and they're approaching this as him being a part of a petroleum company, he's actually approaching this kind of from an entertainment aspect of making his mark in history and putting his name in the books of the biggest oil discovery you know, ever. And so it, in a way, you can see that natural transition of going from oil uh, driller investigator guy to entertainer because you can see his aspirations for that. And uh, I agree with uh, Glenn that he does get the uh, best death in this film by just getting stepped on by uh, <laughs> ye old Kong. Now, Jessica Lang, it says, introducing Jessica Lang in this film, uh, playing uh, Dwan, which I... <laughs> that, that name, I, I could not get past that name through this entire film. Dawn, uh, I guess my question is, her her portrayal in this was it? <laughs> Fay Ray, I know, played kind of you know the damsel in distress, but what was it about the Dwan character? Did did you like her? Did you, did you not like her? Did did she kind of annoy you? Did you want to see her get eaten? Uh. <laughs> no, she didn't bother me. Definitely not a strong character. Kind, of, I mean, she, she is. When we were talking about the sexuality and yep. and what she was, even when I was younger and I didn't catch all those references, she was still a vapid wannabe actress who <laughs> was aware that her value was her looks and mm-hmm. used it, not in a cruel, mean way, but in a, I'm so sweet, I'm the girl next door, give me because I'm cute kind of way. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I guess it didn't bother me because back back then that's kind of what we were encouraged to do. So it just it, and but it is it is kind of a different character that we've seen in some of the other '76 uh, films that we've covered in the Big Four O movies that we've we've talked about. I mean, like in um, uh, uh, Taxi Driver, you know, you have uh, you know the character, Jodie Foster's character, who 
you know, even though she's in a bad situation, she and she's young, she seemed to have a better head on her shoulders than Dwan, than Dwan did. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and we've seen that, and I just thought it was interesting. Her her character, the way she's portrayed, stood out for me because it seemed a bit different than what we had seen in these other films. Am I off on that, Glenn? Um, I, I mean, I suppose compared to some of the other characters in, in the other ones we've covered, yeah. But yeah. I mean, it is no way unique to to this movie uh, that type of female character in a film. Sure. Um, especially back in the the seventies and stuff like that, you had. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty much what I mean. Women were there primarily as eye candy. This one just is much more upfront about the fact that yeah, she's the eye candy. <laughs> I think the introduction of the character Dwan is kind of starts that fantasy. Mm-hmm. You find the beautiful woman who's cute and wonderful and innocent, but it got awfully sexual in the middle of nowhere, and all these men fall in love with her. But she seems to fall in love a little bit with Kong, even though she's scared of him. There's some weird... I don't know if it was the director or the way they wrote it, but with her character... Uh, you know, some of those, some of those seeds with Cog, I was like, okay, this is, this is kind of creepy. Uh, oh yeah, she's she, she's definitely a bit of a furry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she's kind of scared, but it, uh, on the other hand, she's kind of like she kind of likes the big Kong. Uh, so, <laughs> but but that also goes with her kind of um, airhead thing. She mm-hmm. she acts without thinking of the consequences, or without expecting consequences throughout sure. the whole film. I'm flying to Hong Kong or wherever, and I'm getting on this boat with this person who's promised to put me in films. I'm There's not going to be any consequences for this. I'm going to uh, flirt with all the guys on this, uh, on this tanker ship there's not going to be consequences for this. I'm just kind of going to hang out and insist on going to this island, not knowing what we're going to get into, because there can't possibly be consequences for this. It's it's that whole thing throughout the film. Mm-hmm. She gets she I mean she she goes and she climbs on the the grate and she falls in on on Kong because well there weren't consequences before, so there must not be consequences now. Well, the the drink line, which I still laugh to this day. Oh my god! Hey, hey, we're being chased. We've got big, huge ape ravaging New York. You want a drink? (laughs) Again, no consequences. Yeah. Go ahead, Scott. You've been no, 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 no. no, no. no, You're you're going on about the drink. Go for it, man. It it just (laughs) that seed. I remember. And what's funny is after rewatching it, that's the one one of those one moments when I watched it when I was younger, uh, because I watched it on on cable and that because I was just about one year old when it first came out. So, uh, (laughs) but when I watched it, that's the one scene that always stuck with me. Like, wait, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) I'm a child who has no idea how adult relationships work, but this seems odd. (laughs) Even even back even back then, my brain was going. You've got a big ape looking for you, and you decide to have a spritzer. What the hell? (laughs) You know. know, Okay. Go ahead, Scott. This and this is. 
I gotta be honest, guys. Mm. I I gather that there are people who here who enjoy the movie, and people here who don't enjoy the movie. So please don't take it personally when I tell you how much I absolutely hate this film. <laughs> I hate it to the core of my being. I, I knew it. it. I, I hate it completely. And I and you know there are elements in it I actually like. There are. There are. I've already mentioned the Fred Wilson characters. I like some of the island stuff, like you know, with the with the tribes people and stuff like that. The main thing that I've figured out, and this is your biggest problem, is the Dwan character. I can't even say the name without wanting to punch in my fucking monitor. <laughs> wow, it's, it's it's just so awful. It's so awful. And well, to and to if I can, I'll link this to what uh what. Dawn, proper spelling, <laughs> proper spelling, <laughs> was saying, is that I think that this character is constantly seeking approval. The neediest character in the whole movie, so of course it's the woman character, because that's how that's what how the writer thought, apparently. And constantly seeking approval, seeks approval from the guy she gets on the boat with, from the random people on the tanker, from... Fred Wilson, from Jack Prescott, from King Kong, constantly like, oh, love me, love me, love me, constantly seeking approval. There must be something dark in her past. I would say that if I thought they had put any thought into this character whatsoever, but I don't think they did. I think the writer is Lorenzo Semple Jr., who has a very long history and has written some great movies. He really has. If you want a tout thriller especially like in the mid-60s, early 70s, this was your guy. Three Days of the Condor, Parallax View, Papillon, uh, going back further, Pretty Poison. But when he was asked to handle uh, fantasy material, the only way he could... It's telling that his most famous fantasy writing was the Batman TV show. because, And he is on record as saying this many times. He got a lot of hate mail from like a lot of fandom stuff. Because he said you can't take it seriously. Mm-hmm. He said he says it's, it's, it would be dumb to take this thing stuff seriously. He, does, he doesn't understand why people would ever take this stuff seriously. You can't. It has to be campy. Right. And that kind of comes through in uh, not only the Batman. Sometimes it comes through and it's successful because that's what they're going for. The Batman TV show and a movie that I understand we will be talking about sometime in the future. Flash Gordon. Yes. Sometimes it's just terrible, such as here. <laughs> and uh, later on, 1984, Sheena, the movie Sheena, terrible movie. And what you also get is that he does not write women well. I don't know what it is. You know, I've watched interviews with the guy. He seems like a humorous person that you would enjoy talking to. I don't know what his deal is, but there is one woman character in this whole movie... To be fair, there was only one in the original as well. Yes. Uh, you know, but there's only one woman, and it's like they have congealed every stereotype about a dumb, air-headed blonde into one character. She's aloof. She's naive. She's uh, she acts without reason or consequence, as Dawn rightfully pointed out. Uh, she uh, she's promiscuous and throws herself at everybody. She's slutty. Uh, her She shows uh, no reason in, in, at all in her brain. Um, even her name, Dwan, they couldn't even say, like, no, no, even, we're going to say that even with her name, this girl 
couldn't form a coherent thought. I think I think that perhaps she just kept misspelling her name in school, and they just said, "Let's just tell her her name is Dwan." <laughs> well, no, no. I think I think what the Dwan thing goes back to what Don was saying. I think about the attention needing because you spell it differently, it gets her attention. It does, but yeah. they still took every negative. Let's face it; this is not a really interesting character. There's mm -hmm. n there's not a lot going on up there. <laughs> you know, there she she has t she, uh, the Fay Ray character in the original. Not and and you really shouldn't draw too many comparisons to the original because even the people who made the film said that they were trying to do something different. Right. Okay, fair enough. But just mm -hmm. just to draw some comparison, the Fay Ray character was brought on as a starlet and was there as a thing, but was a deeper character. This person, there is nothing there. Just mm -hmm. the object, um, and so they're, they're, it's the most problematic person in the movie. She has every single awful '70s trend. Let us talk about how when she gets kidnapped by King Kong, and she gets picked up, and she and he, she, and she goes from mean to accommodating to downright like getting into it. <laughs> she starts out by calling him you goddamn male chauvinist pig ape. Mm -hmm. She then goes on to talk about her horoscope. You must be a Libra. What sign are you? I'll bet you're an Aries, aren't you? <laughs> and then, of course, in about a scene later, we have the awful pervy, pervy, pervy scene where Kong is bathing her underneath the waterfall, literally getting her wet. But, but, but <laughs> this scene, oh, you had to bring that scene Literally up. getting her wet, and then blows on yeah. her, and she is into it. <laughs> she is into it. Uh, when Kong is picking her up, he's trying to take off her top, and check out that still photo. There's the still photo of her in Kong's hand. He is obviously trying to finger her in the damn picture. I'm like, good God, kids are watching this movie. I'm like, come on. I can't believe I am the reason I, I am the being the voice of restraint here. Come on. It's just too much. Yeah, it's, it's... and you know, it, she, I think a lot of the film's problems are in the screenplay by Lorenzo Semple Jr. and in this character, Juan. A yeah. lot of the worst things in the movie originate with this person. Now, Jessica Lange, we now this is her first role. We now know she is a really good actress. She's not just a good actress. She's really good. And she has proved it years it, over the years. This was a big thing. She was like one of the last of like the starlets to get discovered on a movie and they cast her as like a big, you know, casting call thing. And when King Kong got not great response, let's just say she took three years off of film, sure, and didn't show up again until like all that jazz. Mm -hmm. And then, and then, but then, look at what, look at her film roles after that. All that jazz, Tootsie, Francis, which she fought tooth and nail for, uh, and now she's like a legendary person. She used to be a neighbor of mine. I never got to meet her, but she used to be a neighbor of mine uh, with Sam Shepard and stuff like that. Totally down to earth, completely dedicated artist. Not well served by this film. It's not her fault. I think she did what she could with a role that was written with every 
sexist stereotype in mind. Cole, now uh, we, we, I want to hear from you because you, you do enjoy this series quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Your feeling with the, since I started this uh, brush fire here, uh, the, Dwan, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Dwan character, how did you feel about her, how she was portrayed, versus, say, what we saw with the Fay Ray character and just in, in general within the movie? How, how, what were your take with Dwan? Well, I think a lot of what I, I think a lot of what Scott has to say is is spot on. But I, I do think I, I I can't quite paint her in that broad of a stroke. Mm-hmm. I think that she has one very revealing moment during her first interaction with King Kong, uh, where she we see the real character, where she loses her shit. And she's like, if you want to eat me, just go ahead and fucking eat me. Come on, do it. Do it. And goes off on him, right? And then she sees that that gets her absolutely nowhere and then goes right back into the, oh, I'm so innocent and don't hurt me. And I think it's very, I think that moment is very revealing. And I, I, that's what I get, you know, just watching it. I think you get about 30 seconds to a minute of who that character is, and I think that that moment, or that that person that we see in that moment, is the person that Jeff Bridges falls in love with, but doesn't have the faith to follow through with. And I do think that Scott is right that this is not a great King Kong movie necessarily. And I, you know, of all of the King Kong films I own and watch, you know. Frequently, probably too embarrassingly frequently to admit. I watch them often, right? This oh, I one, love the, ori- the originals. This one, this one I watched the least. In sure. fact, I probably watched it for the sixth time tonight. Oh. But I do think it, it does function as a disturbing sort of take mm-hmm. on, on the Hollywood dream. And I, I do think that there are some problems in her character, such as... You know, she she is sort of, in a way, I don't want to say playing everybody, but she knows her power. Um, but yet, you know, they show her in an obligatory, you know, just like gratuitous nude scenes, like the shower sequence, which didn't need to be there. So they don't have a grip on their own tone in terms of they they present her as a as a sex object, and you know, they deliver her as one too. So, you know, I do get that, but I just think that's the director and the nature of Hollywood at the time. I talked to a – and I'll wrap this up with this. I talked to a guy once, and this is true, who told me – a low-budget filmmaker who got his big break. I think this was like his second film working with an actual producer. He told me the producer came right up to him on the set and said, hey, look, either this actress takes her shirt off in this scene or I'm taking my money out of the movie. Mm-hmm. And when you're when you're in that position, what do you do? And that that's all I'm saying. I'm not like justifying it. Mm-hmm. I haven't had a pair of breasts in any of the five movies that I've done, <laughs> so I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying, sure. you know, there you go. There you go. All right, uh, great discussion there with Dwan, which I I have trouble even saying myself. Uh, just there's something awkward about that. So uh, we'll move to Glenn. Glenn, did you happen to have a a topic or subject that we haven't talked about yet that I about um, the film you wanted to touch on? Yes, 
And this is actually some of some of that I actually just I watched this uh, I watched the original about six months ago, and then I went and I watched this one again. And there's I, I was watching with a friend, and uh, my friend is you know how Kong is such a tragic figure, and how he's really just a huge victim in all this. And I said only to a degree. And I explained to her, I said, so if you had a guy who demanded you give him women every now and again that he would then kill and eat, there's no way you could paint him in a movie as a tragic figure and, and as a victim, which is pretty much Kong is just a giant 40-foot-tall hairy dude who keeps eating the villagers' women. He's really, in, in a way, it, to me, I'm saying... So him getting his ass shot and blown off the, the Twin Towers is kind of karma for the... That's what you get for eating all these people, dick. <laughs> you know, I mean, and yes, he's an animal, but it's, it's, it's also just this thing that, you know... I mean, you have these villagers who, for who knows how long, have lived in absolute terror of him. Mm -hmm. So, yes, he's an animal, but in a way he kind of gets what's due to him. Um, I, I, th I think it just shows it, it's it's the, I mean, and yes, it, it shows that, you know, in, man, in some ways, you know, man is just as barbaric because we take him out of his habitat. We, you know, try to exploit him kind of in a way how he, in a way, exploits and extorts the villagers on the island. Yeah, he's getting his protection money. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> Except that it's, you know, women... <laughs> that he eventually eats. <laughs> well, first you get the money, then you get the power, then you get the women. Then you then you get the bite-sized <laughs> snack pack women. <laughs> bite-sized snack pack women. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> so yeah, you you do make a good point. He, we, I think everybody kind of, kind of forgets that he's 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 popping snack pack women. Um, on the island and has been for ages now, uh, and everybody plays about how the tragic ending is. Uh, would you say, Don, that uh, agree with Glenn that uh, he actually is kind of getting what's coming to him, and that he's not exactly the character that we like to think, or at least the way he, it's implied at the end? To a degree, yeah, I agree with with Glenn. Um, yeah, there's there's not a there's not a really good argument against what Glenn is saying. You'd have to dig deeper into the story and find out if, you know, exactly how the whole human sacrifice thing came into to action. But yeah, the it's it's dude was snacking on the villagers people was going to have to get it was going to have to get put down cuz that's the way it works. Mm -hmm. Can't just keep doing human sacrifice. It's, you know, it didn't work for the Aztecs. No, it certainly yeah. didn't save their their people. It, yeah, <laughs> never it, it, that human sacrifice doesn't end well. No, it, it usually doesn't. Definitely doesn't serve the purpose. Uh, goat sacrifice, on the other hand, I find very uh, very effective. So apparently, there's oh. magic. There is. There is. <laughs> I mean, 
And Cole, how about you? Uh, you've watched many of these Kong films. Would you? Uh, what do you think about with Glenn's uh, positive? Uh, yeah, Kong. He is kind of you know he does victim, but at the same time he does kind of get what finally is coming to him. Well, that's the that's the dichotomy, and that's the notion, and that's that's the wonderful thing about King Kong at its best, anyway. Certainly, the best films have that push and pull. Um, and I, it's so funny, Glenn. Uh, I think he posted this, or either I was talking to Glenn about it, like last year or something. And it was just so it hit me so funny last year. But like hearing it again tonight, I'm more on the side of like, well, I'll tell you, you know, the side. Of, of, when you watch a King Kong movie, like it's a movie about man versus nature to a point. It's about man conquering nature and you know the Empire States Building, which is this huge, amazing structure, you know, a great monument to our our, our domination over the natural world, right? right. But when you watch a, a King Kong movie, I think the way to enjoy him is well, the other and I'll make this quick. Last week. Uh, my lady friend and I were driving to The Conjuring 2. My lady friend said, pull over, oh, oh, a turtle, right? So we pulled over. I got out, running down the middle of the road, this turtle probably, they crossed the road to lay eggs, right? It's part of their instinct. So it probably went somewhere to lay eggs and crawled back over the other way, right? Beautiful turtle. I mean, huge. Probably, I, I mean, I would say half the size of, uh, I mean, it was huge. Probably the size of my dog. Um, I was just about to get to it, and this car coming ahead of us swerved and hit it, killed it, splattered it. So, and not to get too dramatic, but I mean, that's the point of view you have to watch these movies from, is like, okay, enough is enough. Kong rocks, you know. That, that's how you're going to get the most majority of, you know, entertainment out of these movies, is watching it through Kong's eyes. And I, I can't say that for the 76 version, because it has this weird, perverse Hollywood showbiz notion about it. Mm -hmm. And King Kong is almost, as Scott said, everything Scott said about, I, I don't want to say about Jessica Lange's character, but about King Kong, how he's more of a symbol of a big, hairy dude, is kind of true, even in, like, the mechanics of, of the actual character, like how they went about portraying him. But right. um, I think the way to enjoy these films is not from the point of a, a you know, a human being, if that's possible, you know, and I'm not, I'm not some, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not waving any penis signs, I'm just saying, <laughs> to switch off, maybe, you know, to put aside your cheeseburger and look at, look at the world from a different way. So. But I, I like cheeseburgers. I, me too. But, yeah, Glenn, it, it's an excellent point in there that uh, he, he does kind of get you know, get what's coming to him because he's been, he's been like, hey, you know, accidents happen. If you don't give me a, a girl, you know, that wall, it it could just fall over, you know. <laughs> nice village. So. Shame if something happened to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a really excellent point. Uh, uh, Kong may not be uh, quite as the victim as we think, but at this at the same time he is pulled out of his element by the evil humans, um, and in that respect the the humans um, you know aren't much different than Kong, in a lot of ways then because you know here Kong is is using the tribe to get uh, lady snacks and here the humans are using Kong to get money 
Uh, so, you know, and, and and exploit him. So, yeah, there is an interesting dichotomy as well as a parallelism there with uh, the beast and the supposed better humans. So, we'll move on here to uh, Scott. Uh, did you have a topic or question for the group? I do, I do. Now, this film, when it came out, and I have to only go by history on this because I was the same age as Mark basically. So I don't have any memory of when it was released. The, I think my earliest memory of when it is when it was on network TV in a big two-night event. But there, I'm always interested in films of this era. This film was very heavily hyped. It was probably the most hyped movie since Cleopatra when it came out. I think a great il- illustration of like the, the uh, difference between hype and what happened was that they actually had a big robot that they built a big robot Kong when the movie was uh, made, and they invited people to come out and see the big robot Kong, and it'll be in the film and everything like that, and you can watch it and everything, the big robot Kong being unveiled. And they unveiled the robot Kong, and immediately, like, one of the arms, like, drooped down, and, like, the like the entire side, like, basically sagged to the ground. So that wasn't a great show for them. But there was a showmanship to how this film was hyped. And if you look at the calendar, this film came out Christmas 1976. You could argue that this was the last blockbuster to come out before Star Wars. So, now as we know, Star Wars changed the game for everybody. That's historical at this point. All of a sudden, people started scrambling around, and people started doing their films differently. And now... We're used to a million different blockbusters. We're used to computer-specialized effects. To me, I see a charm in the old-school, overly-hyped blockbuster, the most amazing thing you've ever seen. You'll never believe this. To, say, having a blockbuster every other week, and it's now just become blasé that people have spent $200 million on a movie. Do you see a difference in how uh, films were marketed then and how they're marketed now. I'm talking about the big blockbusters now. And do you think that there are things that are better or worse in that era compared to today? Good good question, uh, Glenn. Kind of rambling question. <laughs> no, I agree, but <laughs> there it is. We got it. Uh, Glenn, <laughs> how would you feel? Would you feel that... Uh, uh, what was your opinion on that uh, with, as far as the promotion and, and the hype over blockbuster films? Um... They definitely went. Uh, it was definitely different back then, where where they they tried to build this. They built up this hype, but without doing what modern movies do, which is the let's show you eighty eight percent of the actual film. Yes. To get you to come to see our film, <laughs> um, a lot of that stuff they would they would you know they loved wipes, so many old promotional things you know they they they'd have you know they they'd show you just. Some scene, there would be something grand, and I think it was also just getting, you know, like a cast where you have, like, an example is like, you know, when like with Ben Hur and films like that, where you just have tons of people in costume. It was so much more grand back then because one, obviously, you don't have the special effects. You didn't have the special effects that we do now, like with all the, you know, you can just, oh, we need twenty-five thousand people in armor. That's great. Get six guys, and then we'll just replicate them uh, five hundred times each, and there we go. There we have our, our orc army. <laughs> So I think in a way it, it's different, and I, I look at a lot of trailers back, like 
promotional stuff from back then, and and being the knowing that where when I grew up, I can still see some appeal to that. Now I think because of where film has gone, it can never go back to that mm-hmm. um, because people are are too used to the you know now the trailers almost almost as important, if not more important, than the freaking movie because. A trailer can kill your. A bad trailer can kill your film, or a perceived bad trailer can kill your film. Ghostbuster, um, <laughs> and you know people will now judge the whole movie based off of just that. Yeah. Just, you know some. I saw. I saw thirty-eight seconds of the movie. I know it's going to be terrible. Well, okay. Now, I mean, you can argue in some cases that might be true, like if they were saying. Hey, we're gonna remake Roots, and they show you like here's the lead character playing Kudukente is Brad Pitt. You're like, well, what the fuck? <laughs> so that you know, you you could say, okay, there obviously, but a lot of times it's just the here's you know here's 80 seconds, and so many people are so instant to judge the film now just on that. And I think back in the day where you had so much less given to you, it it you weren't expecting as much. So just the fact that you know you took them more at their word. When they tell you this is the you know the biggest thing you're gonna see you know the the grandest thing ever filmed the you know the this giant ape who's you know fucking amazing and you're like yeah that's got to be true they can't lie about that can they I mean they wouldn't they wouldn't do that and now you know nowadays we know that they they do the selective editing from from uh, critics where you know they'll be like some critic will actually say this was an amazing pilot crap and then they'll just have the tagline this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, in my rambly way, that's yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, Don, how about you? Uh, you, you watch many a, a classic film, uh, and you have a husband who watches many a classic film. How do you feel about uh, what Scott was asking with the promotion of, say, films like uh, King Kong, how they did it back then versus basically now? I watch the films. I don't watch the trailers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I avoid you- the trailers because spoilers... <laughs> you, as as has been said, in this day and age, you, the watch to watch the trailer is to watch the whole film. There's nothing. There's nothing left. There's too much expectation. I guess back before you know, as as Scott said, Star Wars kind of changed the face of the blockbuster. The I, I guess yeah, I did feel that the trailers and the teasers were more teasing. Mm-hmm. They they didn't they were yes they used some of the material from the film and and Jaws is the perfect one oh my yeah. gosh I I I mm-hmm. that is one I remember that one in Blood Beach those are two I I remember the advertisements for those movies and I I wanted to see them so badly. <laughs> So yeah, there's definitely a difference, and and we've gone far too over the edge. Screw it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, well, for I me, love Blood Beach, incidentally. If, <laughs> me if too. I, if I remember reading up on on this later on, and it's one of the reasons why it was a ride for the longest time at Universal Studios Florida. Their big hype because this was before Star Wars. This was between Jaws and Star Wars. Their big hype was the special effects, the ro- and let's not. Even though we've we've kind of picked on the dialogue and everything, as far as the animatronics go on Kong's face, are really dang impressive for 1976. 
Um. Most of that goes, you know, a lot of, there's a big controversy, because this won, like, a special Oscar. Yeah. And a lot, and uh, Carlo Rambaldi wound up taking a big hunk of that Oscar. That's controversial. But very controversial, very controversial, exactly, because there was a lot of people who worked on Kong, including Rick Baker, who probably deserved a lot more credit even than Kong. Yes. <laughs> and so, yeah, a lot of that goes to him, mm-hmm. you know, because for all, like, the stuff where they talked about the robot Kong and the animatronics, most of the great stuff was the guy in a suit. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you still get the guy in a suit in here, and, and there's some great suit performance in here as well. The special effects outside of the really uh, uh, rather not-so-good green screen, uh, when there is a green screen, when they're doing models and such, that stuff looked really great. Cole, uh, what about you? Uh, you followed this uh, quite a bit. Would you say that uh, the promo for Kong, uh, they kind of pushed the uh, special effects for this film a bit for when they're hyping it, and also uh, what Scott was saying about how films like this were hyped back then versus today? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in terms of what Scott's initial question, I think Glenn and, and Don, they both said it so well. I mean, Glenn and Don said everything that I would say. I can't elaborate um, on that. In terms of the actual promotion, you know what, Mark? I've only seen one trailer that's on my DVD, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, all I know is what I've read. I mean, I've read extensively about it, but the, the information is limited. Uh, obviously, they promoted the heck out of this thing, but like like Scott said, a lot of the, the bigger effects that they ended up paying for, they never used. So mm-hmm. much to the point where I believe they uh, used some of the old props in King Kong Lives to make up for the budget. I could be wrong about that, but uh, I believe that's true. So actually, I don't have any expertise on the marketing behind this movie. I know the effects were huge, but whatever strengths the film has aren't in Kong. This is like the only King Kong movie in my collection where when I watch it, I watch it for Jeff Bridges and and Jessica Lange and their bizarre scene in the bar and all this <laughs> easy sexuality. Like, sure, that's, sure. that's the reason I watch it. You know, I... I kicked myself in the ass because I, I sounded like such an idiot and a jerk on our, our uh, Frankenhooker podcast, and then here I am defending something like this, right? <laughs> no, it's okay. No, it's totally cool. I will say one thing about the bar scene, and this is I've seen this is not the only big monster movie I've seen this in. In fact, I've seen it in films such as Emmerich's Godzilla movie, which is, for the record, is far worse than this even, and for, in other big monster movies. If you have a giant monster, they should be able to do a lot of things. Sneaking up on people should not be one of them. He did take cover behind that building, so He just he just like reaches into the bar while 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 Jeff Bridges like turns his back to go on the phone, so I like whoop hi <laughs> he's, he's a stealth ape. You didn't, you didn't. <laughs> All those years in the jungle, he learned how to be stealthy. Great. Okay, okay. Well, now, if the asylum does not make Ninja Ape into a movie, then I just lose all hope. (laughs) Well, they obviously stole that for Jurassic Park. Yeah. Yeah. At the very end, T-Rex sneaks up on everything. Exactly. (laughs) And I I love Jurassic Park, but but exactly. (laughs) You can't. 
Okay, if you're one of those raptor things, yeah, maybe you can sneak up. They're like eight feet tall. If you're like 80 feet tall, you can't sneak up. <laughs> no, was even, this... even, even more so when they make a point throughout the entire film to show you how every time it moves, thump, thump, thump. <laughs> <laughs> He, he walked on his tippy toes into that that lounge. He, he just kind of tink 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 tink. So he didn't you didn't quite hear him. He could. That's a rare ability by the T Rex. And and Kong had you those. Know, I'll accept I'll accept a T Rex running the American Ninja course. Uh-huh. I can accept that as reality because I've seen. It. Kong had very padded feet, so he was able to. <laughs> he he slid. He didn't take steps, and that's how he was able to sneak up. On Jessica Lang, and open that door quietly as well. He's no. very talented, so let, let's give Kong credit there. Though I think he is smaller than the original Kong in this, but I'm not quite sure on that. Uh, it I varies his size. I think it, is, it seems to vary in this movie. He's like Jeff. He, Kong is much like Jeff Bridges. His motivations and, in the Kong's case, his uh, physical attributes change as the scene needs. <laughs> oh, so he's basically Megatron. All right, <laughs> the original G1 rule. Okay, and moving on. We're gonna... Represent. <laughs> We'll get to Dawn's topic for the evening if we haven't touched on it. I know she had a couple of them just in case. So, Dawn, uh, what about the topic that you'd want to bring to the group tonight? Well, it kind of ties into what we've been talking about, and that's the special effects. There was such a variety of quality of special effects throughout this film. Oh, my God. <laughs> so some of the some of the effects were, for example, you you. Uh, kind of in the middle of the film, about an hour into the film, after Kong takes Duan and uh, Jeff Bridges is leading everybody into the into the jungle, and all the background is like I'm looking at it, watching it today, going, "Oh my God, this is Star Trek." <laughs> but a, a lot of that background scenery was very. I mean, it was from the correct from the right period, so I get that. But a lot of that was. It, the the smooth rocks in the background looked very much like the uh, Star Trek Alien Planet, which I'm like, which I was really kind of s- surprised at because I, for whatever reason, remembered it being better. And then you get the great ape hands <laughs> that were I thought were done really well. Mm-hmm. You've got the 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 decent. Um, the you got the well done Madden in a costume in the ape suit, which I thought was really well done. You have the they did show they were cutting to that giant robot ape, and I had to pause the TV and look at it and go, "Holy crap, that is awful!" Because <laughs> they would just they had like two or three just snips to the shots of that robot, giant robot ape, and it was so awful. Yeah. Um, but the parts that I liked best, because at, at in my core, I am a gore whore, holy bloody ending. Yeah. <laughs> For a PG movie, that was a lot of blood at the end. 
when he is getting shot. Yeah, it was an impressive amount of blood. That, that surprised me. I didn't remember it being that bloody. I'm like, holy crap. They just shoot the hell out of him. Yeah, they, they weren't really bloody with this and the and the sequel. But this was kind of more of a surprise because I don't think people were expecting it. Yeah, the, that part and then when, the, when Kong rips the snake head in half, which was not as gory, but it was still impressive. It was, um, yeah. But the 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 amount of blood at the end, and they just kept going and going, and there was no. blood everywhere, and just covering him, and he was dripping in it, and <laughs> that was impressive for mm-hmm. a PG movie. Well, yeah, PG was was like a gray area. There was more of a more of a guideline than a rule. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, well, oh man, don't even get me started on the ratings because. Yeah. Well, yeah, but, I loved the way they used to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but so special effects. Uh, so you you had good parts and bad parts. It was uneven. You're saying and exactly uh, very uh, uneven. Yeah. How did you feel about the uh, special effects in here as well, uh, Scott? Did you have a a good special effect that you really oh, liked? In I, it? And then well, I have to put my brain in the sense that it was 1976. Right. You know, now of course I was not expecting like CG animation or anything like that, like you know, because it didn't exist. But there are a few like close-up shots where Kong is good. For the most part, I actually don't think the special effects are that great. Mm-hmm. I love the grandeur of the film. Like I love it when they open it up on the island. Both this, ver- I mean, basically all three of the main King Kong versions. My favorite scene involves those gates. Yeah. When they bring up, when they bring the girl up to the gates, and when Kong breaks through the gates, those are my favorite scenes <laughs> in, in all those movies. <laughs> I love it; it's fantastic. But there's other things that just don't do well. Like uh, in this version, for instance, there are no real dinosaur fights. Like King Kong the original, and in the Peter Jackson mo- version, lots and lots and lots of dinosaurs. King Kong is not the only guy on there. Uh, this one, all we get is a snake, and yeah. that is a terrible. Well, I looked at that scene and I'm like, you know, I don't care when it was made. That just doesn't look good. Um, <laughs> so there's a lot of expense that was made and it just doesn't look very good yeah. as far as the actual effects are concerned. I think the ex- the facial expressions, which again go right out to Rick Baker, Mm-hmm. And I think the grandeur of when they would like show kind of like open up the frame and show like everything that's going on, that's when the film looks really impressive. When they're showing like, look at our animatronic ape. No, no, it's uh, it's interesting to note that of the three, I mean, there's lots of King Kong movies, but there are three main King Kong movies that are actual versions of the same story. Right. And of the three versions, this is the only one that uses a guy in a suit. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> and uh, the and it doesn't look good. <laughs> it doesn't look good compared uh, to the one that was made, you know, tw- 30 years later, and it doesn't look good compared to the one that was made 40 years before. So. Right. Yeah. Glenn, how about you, sir? Was there a good special effect that you really liked in this film or and that one that really stood out as bad? One that that even bothered me back then were just the helicopters themselves. <laughs> Yeah, um, the shots of them like what is supposed to be, I guess, like Kong's view of the helicopter coming in and shooting looks. I'm like, wow, that's like camera model bad. <laughs> um, and yeah, the snake is terrible, absolutely awful. Um, 
there are some things that I mean, and yeah, okay, you know, the fact that I have to put myself in, you know, five-year-old Glenn's mind of, of when I saw this originally. The, yeah, Scott hit on the gates. Those look awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, when he breaks through. But nothing that really, you know, stands out as, like, good. Mm-hmm. I mean, some things were okay, but, and I mean, and by 1976 standards, it was, most of it was fine, but yeah, the snake's pretty awful. But yeah, nothing that really, like, you know, jumps out at me as well. That was really good. I thought, I thought the ape, whatever you'd see, the, the, the face that was more the mechanical ape looked just always kind of creepy pervy. Yeah, right? Really pervy. Oh, <laughs> really God. pervy. Don, Very Don, leering, yeah, leering yeah. at him. Don made a uh, comment about that while she was watching it, Don, did you? You said something about I did. I couldn't I was hugely impressed. Hugely impressed. I'm looking for the exact comment that I sent you. I did not realize that a mechanical ape or an ape mask could look so lecherous. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And especially, he would do, like, almost this, like, kind of like a sideways glance. Like, he's like, dudes, dudes, I'm going to touch your boob. I'm going to touch your boob, dudes. You know? Like, he, like, like there's some other eight frat boys hanging out that he's trying to get their attention. You know? ooh, like, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> he's telling the snake, dude, dude. Oh, my God. <laughs> Her boyfriend's on the phone. I'm going to reach in and grab her. She will never see this coming. Watch. watch. Oh, I'm going to grab her. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> Great. Now I'm just picturing this edit of this movie, only you have the inner monologue of King Kong as a frat boy. Well, oh. once, well, well once again, let's not forget, I mean, one of the, my movies that I have in my collection, I've mentioned this on the show before, is Kinky Kong. Yes. Kinky Kong is a less perverse movie than this movie. <laughs> So uh, we'll ask Cole uh, here during the final topic here about the special effects. Cole, did you have a good effect and one that, or a few that stood out for you bad that might not have already been mentioned? Are are these on par with the stop motion animation of of King Kung Fu? (laughs) (laughs) Don't get me sidetracked. I'm trying to keep it short. No, I'm just. (laughs) No, I. I mean, Don. Dawn really summed it up with you know, with her, you know, that topic mm-hmm. headline, which was uh, the effects vary. I think there are really, really amazing effects in this film, you know, but then there are some that don't work so well, and it it it, it really sort of highlights the whole effects controversy that surrounds this movie, not that it will ever be solved. All, all we need to know is, as Scott said, it's not as good as the original, certainly, and it definitely isn't as good as, as the remake you know, uh, with uh, Peter Jackson's remake with the CGI. Um, but I also wanted to, to mention Don's point about the gore as well and, and any of our listeners who uh, like that element of it. Uh, King Kong Lives actually <laughs> has some really great gory shit in it. I mean, King Kong Lives is like one of the best kids movies ever. And by kids, I mean from 8 to 14. I mean, it's it's filled with gory moments and people getting stomped on and people getting ripped apart and Linda naked and this director was really, it's like these are the only exploitation movies that are like, King, I, I just can't believe they were made. How were they allowed to be made? But I do enjoy them and I, I think uh, Don's right about the special, but also uh, Scott mentions the lack of dinosaurs. 
Mm-hmm. And I should end the show by, or end my contribution to the show by saying that, which is dinosaurs are essential to King Kong. Like, the original King Kong in 1933 had the best, best dinosaur fights ever. I don't think there's any other movie that shows you a plesiosaur. I mean, there's so many great things in that 1933 version. Um, and uh, Peter Jackson's three-and-a-half-hour version, if you want to sit through it, also has many more dinosaurs. But uh, this, as Glenn mentioned, has this atrocious snake, uh, <laughs> which is one of the worst things ever, that snake fight. Um, you can make it through the snake fight. You can make it through the end. <laughs> <laughs> that should be at the poster, right? Well, this film was a little over two hours long, and we don't see Kong for the first hour until uh, the first hour in of the film, so... According to IMDb, 53 minutes into a two-hour and 14-minute movie. Which I actually don't have a problem with that. I like the long uh, Mm -hmm. lead-up into these things. Uh, I just kind of wish there would be, like, more when we saw them, so... So uh, we're going to wrap things up here for the evening. Uh, There are other things that we could discuss with this film, but uh, I hope we've uh, at least piqued your curiosity with this film. If you're a Kong fan, you'll probably want to watch it if you haven't already for Completionist, or if you're a Jeff Bridges fan or want to see Jessica Lange's first uh, performance as Dwan. There's also (laughs) Rene Auberjonos, I always mispronounce that. Yeah, he's one of the great, great character actors, and I always screw up the pronunciation of his yeah, name. Yeah, I, but I, I think it's something like Abergenois. Abergenois, thank you, Don. Uh, but you mentioned too, Don, earlier about the cast of this yes. film it is very impressive for a film because this was they were building this to be a blockbuster because Jaws is really the first blockbuster because that film was out forever <laughs> and made just for back then that was unheard of and so people were looking for the next Jaws and so you could tell they were getting people on board to try to maybe capture that spark with their film. Well, what I, I think if I'm I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt. No, you but, already did. It's okay. I'm sorry. Okay, there's one thing I wanted to say and you just bring it up in this perfect yeah. time is that for all of their hype about, oh, you've never seen anything like this before, everything like this, I think that, yeah, you have. <laughs> and it's not the, the, and it's not the, uh, the 1933 version, you know? I think that if you look at this film, they got John Gullerman, who had directed Towering Inferno. That yep. was the number one movie of 1974. And then you, in 1975, you had Jaws. I think when you're looking at this, you have a combination of those two movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have, uh, especially in the earlier scenes where, you know, oh, there's a mysterious creature out there, what's happening, and then they, you know, bring out, like, the monster, that's them evoking Jaws. It's not right. them evoking original, it's not them evoking anything else, it's them evoking Jaws. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you get to the city and the disaster thing, there's there's really no difference in the way this sequence is shot than if you watched like one of the disaster movies like Earthquake. I think you're getting a combination of Towering Inferno, number one movie of 1974, Jaws, number one movie of 1975. Why wouldn't this be the biggest movie of the year? <laughs> right. right. Money in the bank, right, it's guys? Money. I think that's what they were counting on. That's that's what I think they were counting on, and it it grossed $52 million, but it, it cost... It did well. 20. It did really, yeah. really well, but... And there's some... 
uh, historical revisionism going on. Like there was a <laughs> there was a series of uh, like two or three articles in Cinema Retro magazine about this movie mm-hmm. recently, and you could t- and it it fell apart in the last few paragraphs where the writer said, but you know what? This is a great movie. It's a fantastic movie. <laughs> and it got fantastic reviews when it came out, and all these people that trash it, that's just since the internet started happening. I'm like, no! Ever no. since I was a kid, I was hearing about what a bad movie this was. No, yeah, that's not true at all. <laughs> so, and at best, I think it got mixed reviews, where it would get mm-hmm. praised for some of the effects, but not for other things in the story. So, I think that they were kind of genuinely surprised. They really hyped it as being the greatest thing ever, the real eighth wonder of the world. Uh, and they were genuinely surprised when it didn't happen. And, uh, well, if you ask me, it all goes back to the Dwan character. Beauty really did kill this beast. So. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and you. Uh, <laughs> you, you wrapped it up well. So, as I said, we will wrap it up. It's got a, a fun cast in here. It did get nominated for two Academy Awards, uh, uh, three Academy Awards, and won the Visual Effects Award for 76, uh, but that was just before Star Wars because then that set a no- whole new bar for people <laughs> in it. So uh, we'll go down the line real quick. This is where we get to find out where you can hear about these lovely people's other work besides when they're here uh, blessing us with their presence here in the spoiler room. Go ahead, Cole. Why don't you go first and tell us uh, you got a new movie out, don't you? Yeah, well, we released a new movie locally uh, this past Friday the 13th. It's called The Last Great Horror Movie, and we're looking on getting it into your laps, uh, but, you know, that's a journey. It'll be there soon. Please follow us at uh, Shadows and Lovers Productions on Facebook, and you can find me at Cole James Meredith at Twitter, and I do some digital art on a Facebook page called Horror Roar as well. And, um, again, the movie's called The Last Great Horror Movie, and thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity, man. You bet. And uh, his his uh, digital uh, art on Horror Roar is better than my digital art on the thumbnail, which will haunt you till the end of time. Don, <laughs> 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 why did you... Nothing play? to do with that. Nothing <laughs> to do with that. <laughs> Don, why don't you go ahead and let people know where they can find you. They, you can find me at intheaudience.net. Fantastic! Great horror and other uh, movie reviews. There, she did superhero. She did a great thing on Marvel Phase One. Check it out. Yeah, in the yeah. audience.net, a fantastic breakdown of uh, Phase One is really well written. So check that good good stuff Thank there. You. And uh, Glenn, how about you, sir? Where can we find you? Find me on YouTube, Guy in the Bunker Productions. Facebook, Guy in the Bunker Productions, the Movie Bunker, or just follow me on Twitter at Guy in the Bunker. And you're also on a podcast, correct, as well, for Gaming Geeks? I am. I am on the Adventure Party podcast, which you can find through Galactic Netcast, actually, gncast.com. 
Excellent. Yes. Uh, so check out all that great stuff from Glenn as well, especially if you like the genre films. Uh, Glenn definitely has the most unique rating system in the history of YouTube Reviewiverse. You need to watch his reviews and hear it. Uh, it's great. Uh, scale of 1 to 10. And finally, but not least, is Scotty D. Go ahead, pimp yourself. I have been incredibly negligent at updating my website recently, but I hope to get back and get my crap in order soon. And until then, you can always catch up on what I've written at Movieocrity.com. Uh, stuff that I've written, uh, podcasts I'm on, all that stuff's on there. Also, you can catch me. You can catch my web series, Movieocrity, at Vimeo.com/channels/Movieocrity. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, a great discussion tonight. Had a lot of fun. Hope you folks enjoyed listening to this as well. We're always growing. It's for your support. We appreciate every single one of our listeners, every single one of you on the RSS feed. Please remember to rate and and comment on our stuff on iTunes. If you're at all curious about what I do, you can go to specialmarkproductions.com, one-stop shop for all your Mark the Movie Man needs. Uh, and also check out Astro Radio Z, where recently uh, many of these fine folks have been on at least uh, uh, there occasionally. And I recently did an episode with the host, Derek Carey, where we talked about Purge Anarchy. So uh, some great stuff there on Astro Radio Z podcast and the Galactic Netcast podcast are great as well. All kinds of great stuff. You can find links on specialmarkproductions.com. Hope you've enjoyed this. Pound your chest and your fists, folks. We are putting this to bed. Say goodnight, everyone. Good night, everyone. Thanks for listening.